Well, the rich young ruler had a problem with riches, and Peter had a problem with rewards. And either one can trip us up spiritually. If we're rich in the things of the world, it's hard to put a proper value on the things of the world to come. But if we put too much emphasis on our future rewards, we may end up serving God for the wrong reasons, and we may even become envious of our brother's rewards and resentful of our Lord's grace and generosity. So there are dangers either way. Dangers in having too much and dangers in wanting too much. There are problems with riches and there are problems with rewards. And we need to be aware of them both because chances are we'll have to face at least one of them. We begin with the problem of riches. We're in Matthew 19. And behold, one came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There's only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into eternal life, keep the commandments. And he said, Which ones? Jesus said, You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept. What am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor. And you shall have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieved, for he was one who owned much property. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell of this man. They all tell us he was rich. Matthew also tells us he was young, and Luke, that he was a ruler, probably the ruler of a synagogue. And so we generally refer to him as the rich young ruler. Mark tells us that he ran up to Jesus and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, Matthew phrases the question a bit differently. Teacher, what good thing shall I do? that I may obtain eternal life. Well, Jesus probed a bit to discover if the man really felt Jesus was able to tell him what was good in the highest sense of the word, since only God can do that, and then went on to suggest that if he wanted to enter into eternal life, he should keep the commandments. When asked which ones, Jesus listed commandments 6, 7, 8, 9, and 5. And then added a summary of the law that's found in Leviticus. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, it's interesting that Jesus didn't mention 
the first four laws that deal with a man's relationship with God. You know, having no other gods before him, having no idols, not taking the Lord's name in vain, and keeping the Sabbath. Nor did he mention the last one, coveting your neighbor's property. Now, Jesus could no doubt tell that this man was very wealthy. Perhaps he also knew that he had accumulated his wealth by coveting his neighbor's property, working on the Sabbath, and giving the Lord a bad name by shady business deals. It may have been obvious that money had become his God, an idol that he served. But Jesus didn't mention those things. He merely said, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, and honor your father and mother. And it is interesting, again, that Jesus quoted the one relating to his father and mother, the fifth commandment, after the others, almost as if emphasizing it. Maybe he was hinting that he knew the man hadn't been honoring his parents, hadn't been caring for them financially as he should have. But whatever the reason for the commandments he quoted and in what order, the man said he'd kept them all from his youth up. But still he knew something was missing, and he asked what it might be. Apparently, he recognized that even though he had kept the law, at least the law as it pertained to obvious sins, he still wasn't right with God. And he sincerely wanted to know what was lacking in his life. Well, Mark tells us that Jesus felt a love for him and told him if he wanted to be complete, if he was serious about doing what needed to be done to get right with God, he should sell his possessions and give to the poor. He assured him that he would then have treasure in heaven, and he invited the man to come follow him. Now, this is the only place where Jesus told a man he had to sell his possessions in order to gain treasure in heaven. So we must not apply this universally and say only that those who sell their possessions and give to the poor will go to heaven. Now, Jesus did say no one could serve God and mammon, the money God, but he didn't say everyone had to get rid of their possessions to serve God. This man, however, did. Money had become his God, and the only way for him to denounce his God was to get it out of his life. So Jesus told him to get rid of the things that had enslaved him and come follow him. The man couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. He had too much stuff, and it was too important to him. He couldn't give it up even for Jesus. So he went away, grieving. And Jesus, I'm sure, was grieving as well when he said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle 
than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, there's no need to suggest, as some have, that Jesus was picturing a camel squeezing through a small city gate known as Needle's Eye. He was talking about a camel going through the eye of a sewing needle. Dr. Luke even used the word for a surgeon's needle. He was picturing something that was physically impossible. And the disciples took it that way. When the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, Who then can be saved? And looking upon them, Jesus said to them, With men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. The disciples were stunned. Now, physical riches had long been viewed as a sign of God's blessing. And now Jesus was saying it was easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. You know, if those who have been blessed by God, couldn't make it, who could? Good question. And Jesus' answer is no one on their own. But with God, all things are possible. God can change even a rich man's heart and make him fit for the kingdom of heaven. But he has to be willing to put God first And the more he has, the harder it is. That is the danger of riches. It's hard to be poor in spirit when you're rich in physical possessions. It's hard to trust in a God you can't see when you found security in the things you can see. So? What is more important in your life, God or mammon? If you really want to find out, just look at your checkbook or your credit card statement. Our spiritual condition can often be seen by simply taking a look at the way we spend money. If you're not investing a sizable portion of your income in spiritual things, using your wealth in ways that bring honor and glory to Christ, you may have the same problem the rich young ruler had. If you do, don't refuse to do what Christ would have you do to get your priorities straightened out. If you're not tithing, giving 10% of your income for kingdom work, you may need to rethink what you do give. And if your luxuries are costing you too much or consuming too much of your time, you may need to unload some of your stuff so you can do more for others. Ask the Lord what you need to do. And when you get the answer, don't walk away grieving because your things are too important to you. And if 
you don't have a lot of things, don't assume you have no problem in this area. Peter didn't have a problem with riches, but he did have a problem with rewards. Let's read on. Then Peter answered and said to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, that you who have followed me in the generation of the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake, my namesake, shall receive many times as much and shall inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Peter quickly reminded Jesus that while the rich young ruler hadn't been willing to give up his possessions to follow Jesus, they had. They'd left everything. They'd walked away from their businesses and families in order to follow Jesus. So far, so good. It's true. And it's admirable. But then he says, what then will there be for us? In other words, what are we going to get out of this? What's our reward going to be? Now, the question sounds so mercenary, and it is. But Jesus doesn't confront him with it. He simply answers the question. He assured the apostles that they would indeed be rewarded for following him. In fact, he said they would sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel when he sat on his glorious throne in the regeneration. Now, what he meant by in the regeneration, we really can't be sure. The only other time the word is used in the New Testament is in Titus 3.5, where Paul speaks of the washing of regeneration, referring to our being made new. The NIV reads, I think, more into the word than is actually there when it translates it in this passage, the renewal of all things. Now, premillennial interpreters see this as a reference to a future millennial kingdom when Jesus will physically reign on earth for a thousand years and have him assuring the apostles that they will rule with him during that period. If, however, you interpret Revelation 20 from an amillennial perspective, which, as you know, I do, you have Jesus simply assuring the apostles that they will be privileged to reign with him in his kingdom, which we currently experience as the church. That they will have the privilege of administering the grace and mercy of God through the preaching of the gospel, resulting in the binding and loosening from sin that he spoke of back in chapters 16 and 18. He also assures them 
that anything they've given up for the privilege of sharing in the regeneration of men's souls will be far than more compensated by the brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and spiritual children they will find in the church. They will be amply rewarded for their sacrifices, or better stated, their investments in the kingdom. However, he does caution them that many who are first will be last, and the last first. He explains what he means in a parable. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, you too go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? They said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you too go into the vineyard. And when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. And when those who hired first came, they thought that they would receive more. And they also received, each one, a denarius. And when they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. But he answered and said to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. But I wish to give to this last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I'm generous? Thus the last shall be first and the first last. Peter wanted to know what he was going to get for his service in the kingdom. And Jesus told him. But he cautioned Peter not to be too concerned about what he was going to get. Because while he and the other apostles would be the first to be hired to work in his vineyard, others would be hired as well. And if they were worried about what they were going to get, they might not be satisfied with what they got. He explained with a parable telling of laborers who agreed to work in the vineyard and got what they had been promised, but weren't happy when they saw others who hadn't worked as long or as hard getting the same. Why were they unhappy? Because they were comparing rewards. A denarius was a good day's pay. And they had agreed to work all day for it. But when they discovered those who had worked only part of the day, some only an hour, 
were getting the same pay, it didn't seem fair. Can't you see them calculating what they thought they were going to get? If the guys who worked for an hour got a denarius, they should get 12. Wow, 12 days pay for one day's work. I'm sure they had it spent before they got to the table. But when they were handed one denarius, they couldn't believe it. They started grumbling. Hold on, we deserve more than this. We did most of the work. And we worked in the heat of the day. Come on, give us more. You owe us more. No, the Lord of the vineyard said, I did you no wrong. I gave you what we agreed on. What difference does it make to you what I give to someone else? It's my money, and I can give it to whomever I please. He had done nothing wrong, nothing illegal. Though I'm sure if it happened today, someone would file a suit for unfair labor practices and probably win. But he had done nothing wrong. The problem was in the heart of the workers who had become envious. And that can happen to us if we focus too much on the reward we're going to get. If our only motivation for serving the Lord is the reward that will be ours, we're not going to be happy when we find him being overly generous to others. If we're always comparing what he does for us with what he does for others, even if he does all that he's promised, we're going to feel slighted. The only reason we give up something is to get something in return. We'll never know the joy of giving. And if we insist on a contractual agreement for everything we do, we'll never discover the joy of undeserved, unexpected blessings. So, yes, we will be rewarded for service in the kingdom. But let's not serve for the reward. Let's serve out of love for the king. And let's not worry about what we're going to get. Let's just trust that he will be good to us. He will meet our needs and he will reward us out of his bounty. If we'll do that, it won't matter who gets what when. All that will matter is that we have the privilege of working in the Lord's vineyard. And that should be enough. There are dangers in being rich, and there are dangers in seeking after a reward, and they both have to do with greed. We'll avoid them both if we'll just surrender our all to the one we call Lord. If we will relinquish ownership of all we have and all we think we deserve and simply become stewards of his riches and grateful recipients of his grace. Are you willing to surrender your own?
If you are, take whatever steps are necessary to demonstrate that fact to him and to his body, the church. Don't walk away grieving because your stuff is too important to you. How sad is that? And how sad will it be at the final judgment? Let's surrender to his lordship. Let's work out of love for him. Let's not always be comparing what he does for someone else with what he does for us. It's so easy to get caught up in this comparative thing. God, why didn't you bless me the way you blessed him or her? Why do they have more? Why is their health better? Why, 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 why? And we gripe and complain and we cry like little kids. No fair. We'll never be happy if we're always comparing our rewards or if we're just working to protect our riches. Pretty important study. Let's take it seriously. Let's stand.